0: the pastor of Providence Bible Church in Gretna, kind of West Omaha area. Let's welcome back Pastor Josh. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's a privilege and honor to be back and to get to talk to you midweek here um, and Bring you the, the word of God for your chapel this week, and so excited to, to be here. I've got a question though I want to start with, and uh, you don't have to give me vocal response, but just a share of raising of hands. Uh, how many people here have lived in more than one house in their life? All right, so most people. who's lived in one house only? Okay, we got a few. How about three different homes? Ooh. All right. How about four? There's some young hands. You guys are moving a lot. Five? Six? Seven? Ooh, now I think we're starting to see some gray hairs. That's, that's where I, I, I counted up in uh, what I've called home at least is about 10 different homes um, throughout my life now. So some of you growing up, I, I didn't grow up in 10 different homes per se. It's kind of post growing up. My wife and I have lived in a couple different homes. But there's something about having a home, um, and maybe for you guys, it's more of a room that you start to call a place that maybe, like I said, it just feels like when you're there, it's home, it's where the heart is, as they say, it's where where your family is. And typically what you do, and I know most of you as students, uh, you don't own your own homes, but you maybe decorate your own room, and your parents come in, they buy a house, and they quickly make it their own. The way they make it their own is they paint the walls, they change the furniture, they replace the carpet, um, all the old smells you want out, right? And you start to make that home your own. My wife and I in our recent home, we've done kind of complete renovation. And if some of you ever watched with your parents, I doubt you guys like watching home makeover shows, um, but it definitely does not take the 60 minutes. You know, they show you demolition day and by the end it's all done. And no, it's not 60 minutes, uh, more like six years, but, We worked hard to decorate it and to make it our own. And maybe for you, and you have your own room. In fact, that's a good question. How many of you have your own room? Okay, so you got a handful of people not not sharing it. And so in that, you're starting to make it your own space. So I don't know what necessarily you do with it. Um, My boys, uh, the color pictures, they put it on their wall. They they got things that mark out what they love, like Legos at this point in the stage. Um, They got Nerf guns lying everywhere. And they start to decorate and they kind of make it their own and reflect the things that they love. So I don't know what you do, but I'm sure you made it your own somehow. And maybe your parents let you pick the the color on the walls or something like that. But that whole idea of home and you making it a home and decorating it is, is what I really want to talk about this morning, but not in a physical place of a physical home, but in the spiritual sense of how do you decorate your life? What are the things that you say you love and that you put up on the walls and that you reflect on and say, this is who I am? Well, our text this morning is going to kind of use some of that language, and the way I'm going to phrase it, if you're taking notes, is that your life is to be decorated with Christ and his word. Now, if you want to put verses up on your wall, that's great. You can do that. But I'm obviously talking more about your your heart, your person, the things that you think about, the things that you, you dwell on and spend your time with. What is your life decorated with? And then what would it look like, because we're all falling short probably of the standard, if you decorated it with Christ, with his word? Because it's going to be Christ that is to rule over all. And we are to then spend, as the text will say, dwell richly in his word word. And that's going to change a lot then of our actions. But before we jump into Colossians 3, verse 15, I want you to do at least a little bit of review. And I know you've had uh, good good preachers here before. And so I know you're getting familiar with Colossians, but just a couple things to highlight. And I don't know if you write in your Bibles or not, but if you do, there, there's some interesting things about Colossians. If you were to say, what is the book of Colossians about? Now, I think you're there with, it's the apostle Paul. You're, you're there with, it's the church Colossae. Um, I would say if you think of why it was written, you start to get this flavor from the whole book that the Colossians are missing something. And Paul's saying, I, I want to, you have something and I, and I want to help complete. I want to give you a more, more. You have something partial. And thereby, and we'll look at some of this throughout the first couple chapters, he's moving from, you know in part, and I want you to know fully. You have a piece of the pie and I want to give you the rest of the pie. He's looking towards maturity. got to love that word. You've probably been told that you need to mature. You need to be more of a mature person. It's that kind of language, a more complete person. So he wants to take what they've kind of started. So imagine somebody who is um, kind of rough. Uh, You guys just kind of came off a basketball season, wrestling season, and there's somebody who starts the season and they don't have all the skills. Maybe you're really good at dribbling with the right hand, but you're not really good at dribbling with your non-dominant hand. Well, the coach wants you to start doing drills to complete, right, your training, complete your skill set. That's what Paul is after here. If you look at chapter one, just to kind of argue from the text for this, verse nine, he says, for this reason, you gotta love it, right? Why is Paul writing this? And He, he tells you, it's awesome. Uh, for this reason also, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled With the full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, if you were to go and underline and circle different words and different things in this book, I would suggest you start looking at that because he's saying, We've not ceased to pray for you. And what are they praying? And I think, even by extension, what is he trying to accomplish in his letter? He wants them to be filled. And I think this is interesting because you're going to start seeing this language, which is, The language of fullness. So when you know full, the glass is half empty, the glass is full. He doesn't want you to have um, a a kind of half full spiritual life. He wants you to have a half, not, not half knowledge, but full knowledge. And not in some spiritual wisdom, but in all spiritual wisdom and understanding For a purpose, verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Again, not in some respects, all bearing fruit in some good works. No. In every good work, verse 10, and multiplying in the partial knowledge. No, the full knowledge of God. He wants full knowledge, full assurance. And then throughout chapter one, how do you get that? Where do you find it? In him. In him, in him, through him, verse 20, he reconciled. There's all these pronouns talking about Christ, that it's through him, it's through him. So there's one place you're going to find that, and that is in the person of Christ. Because verse 28 of chapter one, in him we proclaim admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, again, all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Christ. Chapter two, verse two, so that every, so that hearts may be encouraged having been held together in love, even unto the wealth of the full assurance of understanding and to the full knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden some treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I encourage you, maybe if you go back through this, some books of the Bible are a little bit harder and a little bit longer to read. Colossians isn't one of them. It's pretty short, right? You guys are covering it in a semester. You could go read this book in probably 10, 15 minutes. And I would say, start kind of any of those words, complete, full, all, and I think you'll start to get a better grasp of his purpose here because that helps us when we get to chapter three. Now, I know you guys worked through this a bit last week, but this moves right into our, our passage because he wants you to be complete complete. He wants you to be full. He wants you to have everything you need fully equipped for the Christian life. And he says, therefore, again, he's moving towards this action now. You have all these things in Christ. How do you live? He's saying, chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. That's important because I think that is still governing what verse 15 is about there's an amazing kind of flow between 1 and 14 of all this idea of put on put off and that put on put off is super super helpful for the christian life because it's got a a great visual you all put on clothes this morning to come to school you chose which clothes to wear you said i want to wear this color i haven't worn this in a while right similar idea of decorating, but it's a different picture of clothing. And he's saying there's certain clothes you not only leave in the closet, but there's certain clothes that you go out and you throw away. You're no longer marked by, he says, verse eight, lay aside wrath, anger, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Put off the old man, put on, verse 10, the new man. It's that idea of Clothing, put on, put off, put on, verse 12, a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So that brings us to verse 15. And what I wanna do in the time that we have left is look at simply three words and that whole concept of decorating your life with Christ. And what that looks like there are three words, and they're all commands. So ask your English teacher if you forgot what an imperative is in English. Uh, but these are imperatives in the Greek language, which is to say it's not optional. Because you might even read in English here, let, kind of like allowance. Like, you know, you know, Christ can't, he doesn't really have the power. Why don't you just let him in? That's not the point here. Paul's really using a command that you let that these things need to happen. And the first one is in verse 15, which is this word rule. Verse 15, so the first word of those first command is rule, but he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So after all of this, put on, put off, be complete in Christ. What does that look like? What does it look like to decorate your life with Christ? The first thing you need to do is, he needs to be ruling. Now, if you're like me and you just go kind of word association, rule, I go to reign. I go to kingship. And what's helpful digging in a little deeper is this isn't the real, the relationship of this word is less about ruling over, although it has implications for it, but it's actually an athletic term. And so you got to appreciate Paul. He, He likes his athletics and he uses an athletic term here for rule. And it's more than a ruler, like a king, although Christ is your king and should have authority in your life, this is ruling from the sense of a one who makes decisive decisions. And so the word in Greek is used with the Greek games. So there's someone who was a, a ruler who is going to decide whether this person in the Olympic games uh, obeyed the rules or didn't. So in our vernacular, uh, basketball, there is a guy with you know, that looks like a giraffe that runs up, not a giraffe, a zebra, thank you, uh, that runs up and down this court, and he referees, and he decides if you're following the game according to the rules, or in baseball you have an umpire. And Paul is saying that you let the peace of Christ, we need to talk about that a little bit as well, but you let the peace of Christ rule You let it be the referee. You let it be the thing that is decisive in your actions. Let it rule your heart. You want to be complete in Christ? You want to be mature in Christ? You want to put off and put on and and understand what it is to decorate your life with Christ? Then you understand that he is the decisive one in your life that says this is right. This is wrong. This is according to the rules. This is against the rules. Now ask yourself why he would say the peace of Christ. And then secondly, what is the peace of Christ? And I think we get some help from the context. So if you go to verse 12. So back up just a little bit. And he says, so as the elect of God, holy, beloved. He's on that put on side, right? Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, if I was to tell my children to be kind, to be gentle, to be patient, what am I most likely trying to either referee or avoid? Conflict. I have four boys, nine, seven, five, and one. There's a lot of conflict that goes on in my household, right? Dad's the referee. And when I'm refereeing and I'm saying, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, Trust me, it's because that's what they need because their nature is, verse 13, to not bear with one another. You live in a sinful world. Not everything goes your way. Not everything you want, you get. If you haven't learned it yet, life keeps teaching you until you have a grasp on it. Not everything is perfect in this life, and that's okay because it leaves you... Longing for more and longing for something that is perfect in Christ. Again, we understand the partial, right? We have some great things, but we don't have everything. And the only place you're going to find everything is in Christ. But it's very easy. Even for someone who's in Christ, who is being sanctified, this whole process of becoming more like Christ by putting off and putting on, they're still going to struggle with bearing with other believers. Because you're going to have to graciously, it says 13, forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, you have a complaint against anyone, you ever been frustrated, you ever said, I didn't like that, you have a complaint, he's saying, you're going to have to be quick to forgive, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you, and then he's going to say, put on love, which is the perfect bond of peace, and then he's going to say, if you put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, he's going to say, then you're going to understand what it is to let the peace of Christ rule, which is... The peace of Christ is going to rule when you are angry and you're frustrated and you want to get revenge and get back at someone and say something you know you shouldn't say. He's saying, stop yourself. Look at the things that you've said. This is who I am. This is what I've decorated with my life with. Then I've decorated my life with the peace of Christ. And I am going to be quick to forgive as Christ forgave me. He's saying, why? Because you were called into one body and be thankful. Now, we're not highlighting that command, but be thankful is another command in this little section. So you're to thankfully be ruled by the peace of Christ. How did Christ bring peace? Because he forgave you your sin, your trespasses. He bore that. And he's saying, in the church, as you're putting on and putting off, there's all kinds of conflict that's going to arise. People are going to wrong you. You need to be quick to be like Christ and let the peace of Christ be the referee in your relationships. This is a good message, isn't it, from Paul? You live in a very polarized world. I don't think even uh, living out in in kind of central city, this area, you you are are hidden from it, right? It's polarized in the church, outside of the church. People are very quick to get frustrated, angry, my way, the highway. But if you decorate your life with this, you're gonna be well-equipped to be filled with the fullness of of Christ and his spirit to live out and be like Christ in your relationships. Furthermore, look at verse 16. The the second command is not only that you are to let Christ rule, but you are to dwell. Now, this is the one that gets us back to that picture of of a home or your bedroom, where you dwell, where you call home. And it says, You ought to call this home, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So not, how I say richly, right? There's a depth. There's a not poorly, but in abundance. It's that fullness language that Paul loves in Colossians. With what? Got that all, all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. Dwell, just like the peace of Christ, is a little bit of an interesting, he's commanding rule, and he's commanding dwell, particularly saying dwell in, or allow in that sense, the word of Christ should dwell in you abundantly, richly, decorate your life with the word of Christ, which is, Don't make this too complicated, the word of God. The context of the Colossians is they are dealing with false teaching. Um, Some people, if you you guys probably got this in chapter two, but some people are saying, especially the physical things are bad, and it's only the spiritual that is good. They're starting to promote a lot of different things. And I love the language of Colossians 2. If you flip back a page, or for me, it gets on the same page, 223, Where he uses this language now, um, if you have an English standard version, it uses this idea of appearance of wisdom. Um, My text says it this way in the Legacy, uh, which it says, are matters having to be sure a word of wisdom, or, I like this translation, an appearance of wisdom, in self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body. He says this, But they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So as you're looking to honor Christ and not your sinful flesh, he's saying there's going to be some things that look like this works, right? There's going to be some worldly things that says, I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to not necessarily, I don't need Christ to do this. I can um, do it on my own. And he's saying that looks like that might make sense. Like when you see people who do really hard things and, and maybe they fast for a week and that makes you think, well, it's gotta be a really spiritual person. Or maybe you're afraid of speaking in public and you see the person stand up and um, they're, you know, they're, they're willing to pray in public or something and um, you're going, wow. It's just to say, don't let those things necessarily be the core to spiritual maturity. They're not. The core to spiritual maturity is coming from Christ and this whole process of putting off and putting on and decorating your life with, in this case, back to verse 16, the word of Christ. Lots of things look like they're the best use of your time, but the word of Christ, the word, the scripture, has to be a priority in your life. So you could ask yourself it this way, do you live, do you dwell in the word of God? Now, you guys are cheating a little bit. And by that, I mean, you're attending a Christian school, you have a Bible class, um, I'm guessing your t- parents, whether you want to get up early on Sundays to go to church, are going to make you go to church, but you're going to come to a phase in your life where it's up to you. Again, this is your room. This is your house. How are you going to decorate it? What choices are you going to make? The word of God is the thing that's going to bring wisdom. It's the primary, not secondary. You guys pick up a new word, which I love, which I use all the time. Uh, if it's not primary. If it's not secondary, it's tertiary. Uh, don't let it be secondary. Don't let it be tertiary. Don't don't let it be something that is additional. And you might be tempted because you go to a Christian school that maybe I don't need to be in the word myself. And I can tell you as a pastor with people, that is one of the things even they're maybe sometimes surprised to hear me say. I'm not the best preacher. There's a lot of good preachers. There's a lot of information in our information world and they love and they'll start to learn and they'll grow and they'll be soaking up uh, theology and scripture, and they'll they'll just be going, man, I just love listening to sermons. And you start to ask them, well, are you doing any reading yourself? And well, not really, but I listen to a lot of sermons on the way to work, which, hey, I'm never going to discourage that. That's great. But it, it's not a replacement for being in the word yourself because what you're hearing is another preacher like me tell you what I've been studying and what my room's decorated like. But you're going to have to go do your own work you're going to have to decorate your life with Christ and His word if you're going to have it to be any use to you. I think there's another danger as well. Um, you get kind of things that start to become Christian. They, they kind of, they're, they're Christianized. So, like, um, you start to think, why well, listen to a lot of Christian music? Well, again, I'm not saying that's bad at all. I'm just saying, don't think that is a substitute. Again, not even sermons are that. In fact, he, again, he's going to say, dwell richly, and that's going to flow with what? Wisdom, which is, of course, we know that all the wisdom is, is in Christ in Colossians, teaching, admonishing one another. That is, all of a sudden, what does it mean to dwell in Christ in his word? It means you know how to use it to tell other people, even the tough stuff, like admonishment. Like, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't speak like that if you call yourself a a Christian or um even within the church and even within this idea of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God that is to say there is something about as you mature you start to speak christian as it were right you start to even sing things that are for Christ because that's your home that's your dwelling That's what it is decorated by. Well, thirdly, and we're going to kind of wrap this thing in this larger section with the command in verse 24, which says at the very end, serve the Lord Christ. Again, a command, serve the Lord Christ. So you have rule, you have dwell, and then you better decorate your life with service, and not just service because it makes you feel good, but because you understand ultimately you're serving the Lord Christ. Verse 17 through the end of, and then that first verse in chapter four gives kind of a list of ways this works itself out. So we're not gonna dive too deep or your teachers are gonna get mad at me. Maybe not your teachers, maybe your superintendent would get mad at me if I go too long. Uh, but it is to say he fleshes all of this out. Whatever you do in word, you gotta love again. comprehensive language, right? Whatever you do, Seventeen, Verse 23, whatever you do. Whatever you do in word or deed, that is everything you say and everything you do. That's probably without saying thinking, that's probably included. So it's just completely comprehensive. You do everything, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, he knows that we're practical people. Whatever, whatever you do, everything. Let me let me flesh that out for you a little bit. And and just as someone might do that for you if they knew you really well, and they said, "Well, that means what you do when you get up. That means the chores you do at home. Um, that means the schoolwork you have to do during class. That means the homework you have to do when you get home. It means the sports you play in." He does a broad overview of what is common for his readers, which is the home, because if you have new clothes and you have a a new home, as it were, right, you're a new person in Christ, uh, then it's going to equal a new family. And what he doesn't do is he doesn't upend some of the traditional roles that are in the Greco-Roman culture. He doesn't do that, and he transforms them maybe a little bit, but he reaffirms that there is this order in the divine creation that he's going to encourage them. But in those roles, that is, there are men and there are women and there are husbands and there are wives and there are parents and there are children and there are masters and there are slaves. And maybe in our economy, you're talking bosses and employees. He's not saying that you you run from those roles, right? And it, begs to be said in our culture that you you go well, I am I was born a woman but I don't want to be a woman no you in Christ you don't run from those things you embrace those things in fact but you do them in a way that serves the Lord and so for for wives he's saying there's this way in which you serve the Lord and you could you know write Ephesians five in here to kind of correlate uh, what Paul does there in Ephesians five but there's this submission to your husband as is fitting in the Lord that there's this role this beautiful thing that even Christ, who's subject to the Father in his incarnation, that in the family role, there's wives being submissive in a fitting way that honors the Lord. And in verse 19, husbands. And he goes through this whole kind of household code. You're to love your wives and not be embittered against them. And you can't help but read some of these things, even what we've been through with the relationships. He he knows what's going on, right? There's temptations for women. There's temptations for men. He's saying... Don't get embittered towards them, but but love your wives. And this is where all of us find ourselves, because um, you were born from somebody, right? There are parents, and so we find ourselves as children, and that's where you probably find yourself right now is you're in this role where you have authority, and he's saying, to that authority, your parents, you're to obey your parents in all things. you got to hate that all, right? Some things, no, it says all things. Not sin, but he means in every way. It's pleasing to the Lord. Even when you don't want to obey your parents, even when you don't want to listen, he's saying, when you do, it honors the Lord. And because you are in Christ and you've decorated your home this way, you're going, I want to be marked out by faithfulness to my parents. Don't worry. Parents don't get off the hook. Particularly fathers don't get off the hook. I'm a father. And he's telling me, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. What does it look like to do everything for the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father? Well, it means dads. And you could include, I think, to whatever degree moms in here, but there's a temptation to exasperate children. Don't do it in a way that discourages them to lose heart. Furthermore, you have an economic system here that is difficult, right? Right? slavery is alive and well in the Roman Empire. It's different than American slavery for sure, but it's not something you want to be. Um, There's not a lot of options. There's no no rights for them. And I became a Christian, what do I do? And he says, in all things, obey those who are your masters according to the flesh. And he kind of twists you a little bit and says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but with integrity of heart, fearing the Lord. This gets back to doing everything for Christ. Uh, there's an easy way to do everything that people see. But he's saying not just people, but you need to do it for the Lord. Understand there's, there's somebody more important watching. It's Christ. In fact, he just kind of encompasses, remember verse 17, whatever you do, same thing, verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily, ask for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance, serve, and that's the command, the Lord Christ. For he who does wrong, will receive the consequence of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. So reward, punishment, understand. You're going to be rewarded for doing what's right and honoring the Lord, and there's punishment for doing that which is wrong. And furthermore, kind of to ending this section, verse 1, he doesn't let the masters, and like I said, in our economy, bosses, employees, so teachers, authority figures, superintendents, principals, you name it, athletic directors, Show those under your authority, in this case for the master and the slave, what is right and fair, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. It's a great way, because it kind of seems like, well, why did he leave that till the end? Well, I think he does it in a way that he wants you to be left with that thought as this section kind of is uh, guarded off to say, you have a master in heaven. You might think because... In this case, they're a master, an owner. Um, you might think because you're an adult, you might think because you are um, someone with authority in this life, you might be tempted to sin because there's not the same accountability. He's saying, no, no, there, there is. There, there is a master in heaven. Uh, every single person is under authority, and we have responsibility to that. It's all encompassing every word and every deed. I'll quickly illustrate it this way, which is to say, if, if I was to go to my wife and tell her, um, I will love you on Fridays, but Sunday through, you know, or I say, well, Friday, so Saturday through Thursday, uh, not as much. Like, let me do my thing as far as, I'm gonna go provide for you. I'm gonna go work. I'm gonna go just kind of leave me alone. I'm gonna pursue my hobbies. But on Fridays, I'll love you, right? Think she'd go for that? I don't think so. Now, she's okay. I don't, she's okay that I can love her through working, I can love her through spending time with my children but but she's not okay with it being a partial thing, right? It's gotta be an all-encompassing thing that doesn't always mean um, you're spending every moment with her in the same way, but everything is done through that lens of, she's my wife and I love her and it's all-encompassing. Then in the same way, if you love Christ and you wanna serve Christ, it isn't as if you can say, well, I volunteered on Sunday or I did my bit and, and now I'm kind of independent from that. No, it's all-encompassing. Everything you do, needs to be marked by that love for Christ in everything that you do so that whatever you do, you do your work heartily. You do it for the Lord, not for men. And again, the appearance might be because you got a reward, right? You won the game. You became a better player. You became a better student. You got an A. You're valedictorian. Victorian but it is to say you don't do it just for the reward that is physical. You do it for the reward that is Christ. Well, why? Because you have marked your life out as one of service. So as you look at those three things, and if you guys have any time this morning, I know you get together in your groups, ask that question to yourself of how can you decorate, how does one decorate their life with Christ? And what are the implications of these three commands of rule and dwell and serve? And note together, the all-encompassing nature. But that's what Paul's after, remember? Fullness, completeness. He doesn't want you to be half, right? He's calling you to grow, mature, and be more like Christ. Of course, if you're to serve the Lord, right, right? all this is presupposing the very gospel message that you are in Christ. And if you find yourself as one who says, well, I don't see the reason why I would wanna honor him, then that's the moment to ask yourself, are you in Christ? Is he your master? Have you given your life to him? Because none of this is gonna make sense until you come to that point in your life where you say, it's not my room, it's Christ's room. And he has the authority to tell me what I should put on the walls. And that means you go ahead and you take your stuff off the wall. You turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you for the time that we have, Lord, that we can spend looking at your word to see Paul's language. That he doesn't see one little nook or cranny of our lives that we can call our own, but he says, it is all Christ. Let us not be deceived by things that look like ways that we can be spiritual or ways that we can grow spiritually. They give an appearance of wisdom, but they, they, they do not lead to that. But look to your word and look to these commands even here to mark out our lives, that we would decorate our lives with your word, that we would dwell richly in it. That it would affect everything that we do, whether it be as children, whether it be someday as parents or as employees or the bosses. Lord, it transforms everything that we do because we have a different master who is in heaven. Let this uh, motivate us, Lord, to change, to put off and to put on what you call us to in this text this morning. We just ask this in your son's name. Amen.